0: all right we're recording i'm jeff and luke is here and luke and i have shared video time and video space and internet space together several different times on multiple channels now and uh we are also joined by sam i like to call him biblical unitarian sam
1: sam adams Uh, is
0: fine (laughs) sam adams we'll use that (laughs) um so, Sam and I have never actually spoken before this. We chatted just a little bit before we started recording um we've interacted a little bit on the discord uh on Paul Vanderclair or the bridges of meaning discord i don 't want to sell the name of it short <laughs> um and so we all decided that we wanted to get together and talk uh initially we this i guess this was uh kind of inspired by the series of Ret and Link episodes on their, on their podcast um, where they talked about their history and how they became YouTubers and how that intersected with um, them growing up in the church and actually becoming um, full-time staff for a a Christian ministry in college. Um, And I think Luke and, and Sam, I'll let you guys speak for yourselves. But I think for me it just um I, I couldn't even articulate. I still haven't been able to fully to this point articulate how it has affected me or struck me or or how I'm receiving it and interpreting it. But it certainly has um stirred some things up inside me that I'm still trying to figure out. And um in their in their episodes, they also talk about their spiritual um deconstructions and so one of the things that we talked about we wanted to do in our conversation today is maybe talk a little bit about what experience we've had personally with our own deconstructions if we can even say that we have deconstructed at all or maybe ask the question i haven't deconstructed i wonder why i haven't and and other people have and so I think that's kind of the direction that we want to take this conversation and so you know if you guys agree or if if i've missed something um just jump in here but i guess sam i'll um i'll hand it over to you and and let you kind of get us started if if you think that's good sure
1: um yeah i guess I, I don't think I had heard of Reddit. Maybe I had vaguely heard of them, but I wasn't a fan or a close follower of theirs. And when they first started showing up all over the place on our corner of the internet for sharing their spiritual journey, I had to like re-figure out who these guys were. So I couldn't say that I'm an expert on them, but I've listened to maybe like six or seven hours of them talking in about the last <laughs> week. So <laughs> I've been a quick catch-up and a quick study, I guess. Um and I don't know, I th- I think that that their story, like Luke and I were talking about this before you started, before you hopped in, Jeff, like I think of them as just being amazingly typical stories, sort of. I know a lot of people who could relate to what they said or various parts of it here and there. And I think part of the reason why Red and Link are famous, obviously they're funny and creative and, and talented and stuff like that, but I think they're sh- extraordinarily relatable beyond just the spiritual stuff. like. Why did they get to be in the status and the place where they are? And I think they're just like, you know, they seem like everybody's guy friend or like, you know, the friend that I kind of could have or wish I had or something like that. Like they're not, you know, super intellectuals or I don't mean that in a condescending way. That's at least not the way that they're famous. You know, they're just unusually typical, unusually normal. They just seem like it's the, the kind of people that everyone could relate to. And I think that's why they have such a big audience and a pretty big and diverse and broad audience I get the impression of too. Um, so, so, that, so that's one thing that struck me. I guess the, the question I've been thinking this whole time is why didn't that happen to me, right? I could relate to a lot of their story like I was the popular guitar player in my college's Christian Fellowship band too, right? I maybe wasn't quite as cool as they were, but I was getting there. <laughs> um, and like, so like when they were talking about going to, you know, Christian retreats with their Christian Fellowship and stuff in college and stuff like that and getting to go on stage, it's like, I, I it just was so vivid for me and how much it related to what my college spiritual experience was like, at least for the first couple years, right? Um, And so I was like, man, I I know people who are like those guys, and I was even kind of like those guys. I obviously didn't soar to the heights that they soared to. I I don't have to figure out where I went wrong on that, but... (laughs) But i could I could just really, really relate to that sort of thing. It sounded very, very similar to my college spiritual years, although perhaps one difference, and this is something where you, Jeff, might have something more in common with them is i do there was something about their story that was a little bit southern, right in terms of that being a particularity about them and about their history and their context that I think is important and kind of helping understand them and and what was unique about them. Like I went to a an Ivy League school that I won't name in the Northeast where it was certainly not the Bible Belt. Being Christian was very unusual. It was hard and it was, we were definitely a minority inside the larger school environment. It wasn't like going to NC State where it would have been a little bit more normal and more typical to be Christian in some degree or another. When you're in a very secular, un-Christian friendly environment, it's very stark, the contrast between being a Christian and not. So that was one thing that was a little bit different. And I think that might relate a little bit to my lack of deconstruction. Um, So like what happened to me sophomore and junior year, and I've told this story more on Paul's channel, so I won't go into the details too much. But they're essentially one of the Christian fellowships, not the one that I was in and not actually the one that Rhett and Alink were a part of had a, the, a leader, maybe even the president, I think of their fellowship come out as um, gay and not just same sex attracted, but you know he took a boyfriend and wanted to be affirmed in that relationship and all of those sorts of things. And then that led to the um, student body putting up huge protests against the Christian fellowships, right? And they wanted to kick the Christian fellowships off of campus, wanted to defund them, not have them have any technical affiliation with the university, you know, basically all the things that were in the power of the student body to bring down against these Christian fellowships, they wanted to do that. And not just the one that had done the bad things too, all of them. And so I think part of it for me, right, like, There are a whole bunch of questions and topics that were part of their story. There's like the evolution and science stuff was a really big central part of it, Um, sort of sexual ethics is a big part of it, just kind of broader cultural trends is a part of it. But like the LGBT uh, question, I think, was a pretty big part of their, their deconstruction process. And I think, I think for me, that experience of like the political firestorm that happened on my campus was it showed me that there was a lot of hypocrisy on the LGBT you know, student rights groups. Like we want everyone to feel free and affirmed, but all you Christians have to feel terrible. It's like, well, we believe in tolerance, so therefore we're gonna in- not tolerate you. It's like, well, that doesn't make much sense. Right? Like and okay, well, what about the conservative Jewish groups? They have the same position. What about the Islamic student groups? They have the same position. Why are you going after us? Right? We just seemed like a a scapegoat in a culture war proxy fight on campus or something like that. Hmm. And so I think that was part of part of the reason why maybe that sort of political attraction or position of kind of LGBT stuff was always more complicated for me is because it was like, I don't know, it's feel, I felt like that experience on campus showed it's weird hypocritical underbelly to me um, in a way that it seemed like they didn't wanna live out there. If they're all about love and affirmation and tolerance and all these things, why do we Christian groups feel so vulnerable, threatened, criticized, and attacked in a way that seems to be the opposite of what they stand for? So I don't know, I think that experience was very important for me, was sort of being on the weird side of that culture war fight. Um, and then like the Christian groups started tightening their ranks, right? Cause they were threatened. And so they started making all of their leaders sign statements of faith. And as you guys know, I can't sign a normal Trinitarian evangelical sta- statement of faith, even though I had been a leader and already was involved. I was already in positions of, you know, um, leadership and stuff like that. And then the statement of faith comes at me after I'm already there, mainly in reaction to the LGBT fight stuff. And then all of a sudden I have to be like, okay, guys, I, I can't sign this. And and so then I got, like, kicked out and or removed from my leadership positions, at least officially, although I actually kept playing guitar and was the worship leader. That just wasn't uh, an official position. So anyway, so that was... So part of me got, if I were ever close in my life to deconstructing my faith, so that happened to me in my junior year of college, yeah, right at the end of my junior year. So that summer, I actually served for, I won't go, I can't go into any details on what capacity, but I served for that Christian fellowship that just kicked me out of leadership in a professional sort of capacity that I had already raised money and support for. In the same way that Red and Link had had to raise financial support, I did something that I can't talk about that summer for that Christian fellowship. And that just felt so weird, right? Like they didn't cancel me from doing that probably because it was already like, you know, finalized to happen. Um, And then that summer was really hard and dark and weird for me spiritually for you know, trying to figure out what I believe, like, am I going to keep not believing in this Trinity thing? Or maybe they're right, maybe I'm wrong, or maybe I'm right, maybe they're wrong, or maybe it's something else that neither of us are right. Or maybe this whole Christianity thing is weird, or, you know, just like all these conflicting thoughts swirling in my head. And uh, as well as being away from a lot of people um, that I knew and loved for the first time that summer, it was just very weird. And so I come back right before I'm about to start my senior year of college and I just like needed to take some time to think. And so I took my Chevy Tahoe, um, drove to West Virginia, found the the middle of the woods that I could find, camped out in my Chevy Tahoe for three days and fasted for three days, like no food, just water. for for three days, you know, sitting around my campfire at night and, you know, wandering through the woods thinking, praying and reading the Bible and stuff during the day. And on the third night of that, I was by my campfire next to my car in the middle of the woods in West Virginia. And I had something that felt like a vision. Like, I don't mean to overplay this too much. Like I don't, It it was weird, it was like a dream, but I was awake. And the weird thing about it is it felt like whatever our internal thermometer of how real an experience we're having is, you know, sometimes it's like, oh, that's not real. Oh, that's pretty real. Like the weird thing about it is it felt like the realness was at a higher setting than it had ever been. Like, I don't know how else to put that. And so the content of the vision was, is like, I was, at Calvary Hill and Jesus was being crucified. Jesus was on the cross. And it was dark and like hazy and weird. It was sort of like foggy, like there wasn't a lot of resolution to the background, but it was super clear and vivid of Jesus being there on the cross and like I could see his sweat and his blood and like it was like dripping down the cross and like at the base of the cross there was like this pool of you know blood and fluid and Jesus was breathing really heavily and he had his you know crown of thorns on and all you know like just like a super vivid like live action shot of Jesus on the cross And his head was, you know, down like, you know, like you would see on like a a statue or something, you know, his chin was in his, um, you know, in his chest. So he wasn't looking at me and he never said anything. There was no verbal content to this. It was just like extremely vivid. Jesus is right there. And then it stopped. And I was back at the campfire in West Virginia there. And I was like, what the heck was that? Like, like when people talk about their experience taking mushrooms or something like that, which I've never done for the internet's record. Like, I assume that, you know, like they're talking about something weird like this happening where it's some extrasensory thing that feels real. And it wasn't, I didn't doze off to sleep, I don't think. And so it was like the message that like, I he wasn't like, oh, by the way, I the Trinity is true. Rebuke (laughs) your Unitarian beliefs and follow the (laughs) Trinitarians. Or, nor did he say the opposite. Sam, you've been right all along. Keep at it. They're wrong. You're right. There I think was, that's uh, a
2: missed opportunity, Jesus.
1: Yeah, I know. <laughs> but the, the message that I took away from this was like, Jesus is still where he's always been. Jesus is right there with me. Jesus is uh, like, how could I abandon him? He died for me. He's like my best friend. Like he, he is the person who went to the cross for me how in the world do I think that I could forsake him, right, was sort of the takeaway message that I felt. Even Like there was nothing, there was no content of the vision that would lead me to think that. That was just sort of like the takeaway message. And so I was like, okay, I guess I'm not going to leave the Christian faith then. I don't know exactly how I'm supposed to figure out this Trinity business, how I'm supposed to relate to all of my friends there in this Christian fellowship that just like half kicked me out, half didn't. But I'll keep going, and and I suppose that that experience in many ways has kept me going, in a way that I guess that for many other people it it hasn't. Like I like if I look at my college group of Christian friends, I think more than half of them have deconstructed in a way similar to Retin Link at this point. I think less than half of them go to church. Less than half of them might still call themselves Christians. In in some sense, so like I know tons of stories like Retin links, and they did a, an excellent job describing it. Theirs seemed extremely typical in many ways. I don't mean to like diminish it or to like write it off as predictable, even though in many ways it kind of was. But but I think that they did a good job describing an extremely common thing. And the only reason that I can think of, like that it didn't happen to me, is not because I'm smarter, not because I read better apologetics than they did not because like, I don't know, I'm a better person or something like that. But I had some like, I haven't had a radical conversion experience because I grew up Christian, but I've had a radical lack of deconversion, right? I would say right about when I was at on the fence, when I could see the path of leaving the faith, Jesus just showed up on the cross. I was like, holy smokes, don't remember what he did for you, I guess, is really the only way that I can describe what that was like. And I guess I'll stop there. I've been sort of hogging the microphone, but, you know, not that there weren't hard parts after that, but that was, that was sort of it for me.
2: So I have a couple follow-up questions, if I may, just to try to figure. So do you think, um, and I think you kind of, you, you hadn't said right away, but then I think you did say that you were before this fast and before this vision, you, you were probably, like you would say that's probably the closest you ever got to being in a potentially liminal beginning of a deconstruction faithless questioning time.
1: Yeah. I mean, I grew up being taught young earth creationism like they did. Right. Um. And then, like, my freshman year of college, I dealt a lot with that question. You know, I, I like, in high school, I read all those, like, Michael Behe, you know, intelligent right. design. Darwin's Black d- Box. D- you know, right. right. The, exactly. All those books. And, like, my freshman year, I show up to college, and I was happy to fight the evolution creation debate against all the atheists that were, you know, curious to have it. And I thought I was pretty good at it. Yeah. And, And then, like, I don't know. I slowly changed my mind on that. And that was hard because really what that means is, like, if you change your mind on evolution creationism stuff, you basically have to change your mind on how you think the Bible's true. You need some extra category of how the Bible could be true. You need to adopt a different faith. You need to adopt some sort of different framework, at least, of, of understanding and and so I, I i did that but like and like red and link said this you know they evolution didn't break them but it did seem like it was one of the first things that happened right that was the one of the first the parts of their story yeah. right and and you know Esther and, and multiple other people are like well that's the you know that's step one of a slippery slope right well, that's
2: like that's what ken ham says basically like yeah you start believing in evolution you lose adam and eve you lose biblical mm-hmm. revelation and truth and believe in god and pretty a yeah.
1: So I had had some beginning <laughs> steps of something like uh, a deconstruction of faith, right? Um, but I think another thing, if I could point to another reason maybe why I didn't have a deconstruction, I might credit my biblical Unitarianism with a weird paradoxical benefit. Like I never thought that the mainstream evangelical Christians were right about everything, yeah. right? I, I was preloaded to think that they could be wrong about major things, right? Mm-hmm. And so, and I had also kind of come to think that my own tradition was wrong about some things, right? Like the evolution stuff. So among other things. So like, I already, I, I, it, for me, it wasn't an all or nothing package, right? Like yeah. mainstream evangelical Christianity, American style, you know, campus uh, Christianity. I already had, I already thought that there were things wrong with it. So for me, I already had the category of, oh, maybe this is just another one of those things that they're majorly wrong about, but there's still a lot of good parts and it's still probably the best place for you to be for now. So like for for Red and Link, it seemed like there very much was an all or nothingness to this whole package of beliefs. Whereas I already was like, you know, the mainstream can be wrong. So so that was perhaps a weird paradoxical thing.
2: I have one more clarifying question. I'm just curious about, um, it seems to me, I'll just tell you what I think. And then you can tell me if this is true in your experience. Um, it seems to me that the, the beginning of your, the potential of a deconstruction or loss of faith for you that we've been kind of skirting around isn't necessarily these beliefs in and of themselves, whether it's evolution or whether it's, fill in the blank um hell
1: hell lgbt
2: whatever fiddle, unitarianism whatever but really for you it seemed like what happened is that it started around gay affirming issues but then because of that they established statements of faith and you were perfectly fine before and then you could not affirm these statements of faith and so it's not the statements of faith in and of themselves either but it's the exclusion around them because mm-hmm. of the statements of faith, you were then excluded based on personal conviction. Mm-hmm. And so, Even though
1: up until that point, before they ever asked, they were perfectly happy to have me involved in whatever capacity I yeah. could.
2: So it seems like to me, the problem was... so. But it's a little different in Rhett and Link, but it seems like in your case, the problem was exclusion. In my own personal story, which we can maybe get into too, it but is that it? I never... I don't think that I ever got close to – to. I deconstructed a lot of things intellectually, which I can go into, but I never really – I don't know. I'm just a different – I'm just different in that that wasn't – I never thought of those things as the same as my faith. Mm-hmm. Like, I, ne- I never doubted a belief in God, ever. Like, I haven't even gotten close.
0: Interesting. Like, I don't – I
2: actually honestly don't even know – it It's almost interestingly scary to me that, like, I can't even, I can't actually even comprehend being able to.
1: I know Atheist Sam, and there's part of, I have Atheist Sam inside me, and he doesn't, he's not in charge, but he almost yeah. got to be. Yeah,
2: yeah, which is interesting. Like, I just don't have that, and that's an interesting thing we could talk about. But, so the exclusion thing is an interesting thing to me, because what led to my intellectual deconstruction was, was around exclusion, around particularly the topic of hell. Um, But then – but Rhett and Link did never experience that. No.
1: Like, it seems like they were treated perfectly nice by, like, everyone the whole time. But but
2: here's the thing is they didn't – so here's my concern. I think you were excluded because things became explicit. Rhett and Link I don't think were excluded. But I think it's because they kept everything internal. They mm would have been. And they knew they would have been if they would have vocalized it. If they would have right. started talking about their doubts and beliefs and things, I think they would have been excluded.
1: Right. Like Link voluntarily stepped down as worship leader from his church or something in California, right? Wasn't that part of his story? Yeah. If I'm remembering the details correctly. Yeah
2: So so I guess that would be my premise is that I think for people, deconstruction and maybe not universally, but I think for most, it's it's very much connected to relational communal exclusion, however yeah. that happens. Yeah. And I think it's connected to a, to a personal honesty and whatever. People get triggered by, triggered by this, but like telling your truth. And this is something like what you really think, whether or not it's true. And this is an idea that I've been thinking, and I, and I do think this is true, is that I actually don't think a person will be capable to submit to objective truth if they can't submit to, or to objective truth if they don't first submit to their subjective truth. Mm -hmm. If you're not first honest with yourself, you'll never be able to submit to any kind of objective truth that's outside of you, Mm -hmm. because it's all based on lies anyhow. You have to submit to your subject, what you really think first. That's what telling the truth is. Mm -hmm. And I think when people start doing that, whether or not it's retin Link internally, they, I mean, I think it's woven throughout all their story. They're scared to death to, to talk to anybody about it. It's why they waited yeah. so long and they just left. They just walked away. And I think that's what happens a lot. I think people either through whatever means, like through your situation where a statement of faith was forced upon you, you were then honest about it and you said, I can't do this. Exclusion. Or people come into a situation with a statement of faith. They're honest about it. They're excluded. The only ones, the only ones who stay in those churches are either people who agree with every jot and tittle, which I, I essentially don't think is anyone.
1: <laughs> right. Well, I, a funny thing that will happen is that people won't understand everything like people True. like imagine it says we believe in the premillennial return of Jesus instead of the post millennial return or something yeah. like that, which right. is not an uncommon thing for a statement of faith to have. How many people understand that difference
2: that, that sign that thing? Right. Know. So not the so, majority at least. Right. So, and I mean, I don't there was a quote. Oh, well, never mind. So so that's kind of my idea, is it's around relational exclusion, and that's what I would think it happened. Like Rhett framed his story around a lot of like logic and reason and whatever, and I think that's just his that's his model. Mm-hmm. Uh but I think it's really I think the deeper thing is that he started to have doubts about things that people in authority and people that he had relationship to were saying is the truth. And these are important things. And he started to just be like, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if those things are true. And he started doubting not only the substance of the facts, but the people. Mm-hmm.
1: I think another part of my lack of deconstruction, I think was helped by Kierkegaard a lot. I I had a friend introduce me to Kierkegaard, maybe freshman or sophomore year of college. And I feel like his, he helped me realize that faith and certainty aren't the same thing. And I think that one thing, a tool that perhaps Rhett and Link lack or lacked, maybe they still do, is that you do not need to be certain to say that you believe, right? I think that is a very important thing
2: that you they can... know that, don't you think? Maybe. I feel like they said that. Maybe they do. Stage, Jeff.
1: I don't mm. know. They seem to they seem to equate certainty and faith and believing in the whole package pretty
2: closely. Maybe They need to read some Pete Enns, just... am I right? The Sin of Certainty? Who's? I don't know. I, I haven't read that. Oh, well, I've talked to you about Pete Enns. But that's a, that's his book title, one of his books, The Sin of... I,
0: th- I think that what they said was... Um... They wanted to get away from certainty. Uh, right. they felt like they had achieved certainty in the faith that they grew up in, mm. and then found out these are things that you just can't be certain about, and they didn 't mm. want to pretend like they could be certain about them anymore um, but what i what I found interesting, and I know we're talking about ourselves, but this I was just reminded of this they they seem pretty certain about their positions on justice and about loving and affirming lgbtq for example they they seem very certain about how vital it is to love people um and to to care for people and to do things that make a difference in the world um they they seem very certain about that Mm -hmm. and the only thing that i would point out there is you know that there is, there is no empirical reason to be certain about those things either. Those are religious positions as well. Um, those are, those are no different than, uh, did Christ rise from the dead question. Um, it's the same category in my mind of question of, should I love people versus hate, uh, people, Mm -hmm. you know, there's, there's no, there's no scientific, empirical, logical answer to that question from my estimation. Uh, maybe right. there is, but it, it seems like the same thing to me. I think you're okay. absolutely right.
1: And I think that you're right. They, we've moved beyond certainty to embrace uncertainty. But for them, that also meant moving beyond faith to embrace agnosticism, right? I think that they think that those two are n- bound together. And what I'm saying is maybe you can pull those apart and that maybe you can have some amount of deconstruction or some amount of construction in progress. I will say that my faith and my beliefs and my certainties are always a a construction and a deconstruction and a construction in progress continually. (laughs) But you can do that inside faith. And I'm not quite sure if they thought that or think that, or if they could ever find a place within themselves or within a community where that felt okay. And I think that that's something that the church needs to be much better at,
2: is that you do not need to leave if your certainty leaves. Right. Well, and I think, so what I would say is I think all of that, when you were saying so a couple of things, Jeff, when you were saying that they left, but they're just as certain about justice and LGBTQ issues and being on the right side of history, which is, mm-hmm. which is a monarchical vision. Like it's just, it's obnoxious. And it's just like, if you see this, it's inevitable. Well,
0: well from, just your it,
2: fr- from your frame, it sure is.
0: They were on the, they were on this <clears throat> podcast. I think the YouTuber's name is Philip DeFranco. Yeah. Um, a conversation with Paul, Paul, I think watched that one as well and talked about it in, Talked about pieces of it in his last um, monologue video that he did, or one of his most recent ones, and they said in there, um, "Oh, I'm trying to remember now. Oh, I just lost it." Something that you said reminded me of that. Oh, it was about the history part. Yeah, it was. It was when Rhett was talking about the LGBTQ, and he was also talking about different things in the Bible that society at large had to kind of pull the church along to see that these things weren't true. And they, you know, they, they used an example of, of slavery yeah. and then they, you know, they talked about a couple of other things. Um, and then they talked about LGBTQ, you know, you, he said, you've lost this argument, you know, just talking to generic uh, church people who hold, you know, a non-affirming position and his, history will show in a hundred years, you know, everybody is going to see that this, that the church was wrong on this. Yeah. And my, my only question there was, when you brought up monarchical vision, you know, that, that I would have for Rhett is, do you know how long history is? <laughs> you know, what, what about a million years from now? What yeah. would this look like? You know, what, 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 did, what do some of the things, and, and I haven't read on this, you know, I've just heard Paul Vanderclay talk about, it, you know, some, some of the things that were being argued about in the church um, a thousand years ago. It doesn't even seem like it's a, a controversial topic, not necessarily because we've decided something on it and we've landed on it, but it just seems so insignificant. It seems yeah. so, I, I, w- I wouldn't even think about that. You know, it's, it's so baked in. And there's, there is no, that is also a, a religious statement to say a yeah. hundred years from now, this is what people are going to think. You have no way of being certain about that. Absolutely yeah, you, no way. So, so this you is what I
1: just swap out. Uh, so you just they just swap out judgment of history for judgment of God. It's mm-hmm. it's and it's working the exact same way. Well, in their non-theology theology.
2: Yeah, and so this is where I was going with that, um, and I was mentioning this to Sam before we started. Is that I think, I think from a. <laughs> From a, I was telling him that Rhett and Link are essentially, and, and always were, even within Christianity, whether or not they affirmed it, they had a Sam Harris worldview. So like I think about the Jordan Peterson, Sam Harris debates, they think it's all about this world of facts and objects that we see objectively. <clears throat> um, and really what they they didn't use when they were Christians, they maybe wouldn't have used empirical <clears throat> language and science language and facts and empirical studies and things. They, they just used a different language. They used biblical language, they used scripture, they used revelation, they used, but, it's, but it was the same fundamental thing underneath. And this is why I say that a lot of times people who deconstruct, they don't change anything. And Paul alluded to this too. And a lot of people say this, but, but I wanna make explicit, the spiritual reality underneath is still the same. They've jumped out of the frying pan and into the fire. They've just changed out all of these values for these values, but they still have the fundamental same worldview and mm. they think that they've done something. You haven't done anything. Actually, you have the same worldview you're maybe coming into a greater resolution and a consciousness and an honesty of what's happening. I mean, but your worldview is still the same. And so I would say that anyone who comes from, a, I I would put it this strongly, anyone who's a modernist religious or irreligious must be agnostic you have to be you can't know god through that frame it's impossible
1: i'll say that i'll push back a little bit but i'll say that first i like agree with 90 or 95% probably of what you just said perfect
2: you're almost there <laughs> <laughs> um
1: in that there are huge commonalities between what they believed before and what they believe now. And their epistemology is essentially unchanged, right? Um, And, but I do, I wouldn't downplay the fact that there is a big change that happens in you when you flip like that. I do think that there is something going on spiritually in them that actually is pretty serious and that actually will feel very different subjectively to them now as compared to earlier. Yeah, so I while, while, while I think their epistemology and the way that they're coming about truth and asking all of those questions and determining how to decide things is, is still very similar and that they need to shed some more of their skepticism and deconstruction uh, zeal onto that, that um, something very real did change. And I do think that for them, they, would, they did say that it feels very different subjectively yeah. what happened to them.
2: Well, and right. After. And I actually, Sherry in one of our, whatever, online, but off of the Discord, off of YouTube conversation, said something. Like she had said, maybe to me and Michael, something like, and I actually want to read it, because so I think it's perfect. It was really good. And, but it's of Rhett and Link. And it was something like, she said, as for the truthfulness of Rhett and Link... If they are in a place of truth now, I think that that must mean and has to mean that the place that they were in before was lies. This is why they feel free. Truth sets you free. And I think this is the point. This is, this is what's different with Rhett and Link. I think they're being honest with themselves. And this gets at my point of why I think, and this is why I don't even see them as a loss of faith and I'm not really that upset about it. I think they're actually closer to faith because they're more honest with themselves. They're, they're getting closer to being able to subject to what they actually think and tell the truth in a Jordan Peterson frame, which will allow them that will even give them the capacity to submit to objective truth. It's that George McDonald quote I love so much. It's just like, "You don't understand, but you may one day have the, but you may move to have the capacity to one day understand. I can't help you to believe, or I can't help you to, um, to see the thing." see the thing but i might help you to believe you know and that's and that's the difference like that's it's a fundamentally different way of being in the world
1: i mean i'll i think i might disagree with that too i do think i see what you're saying in that they are perhaps making some positive steps in terms of their honesty and less bsing themselves in the sort of vervakian sense right um but at the same time, I do think they probably have stopped having faith and have stopped being Christians, and that's actually a real difference too. I, I'm not I don't I think you can have a poor epistemology, a modernist framework and stuff like that, and be a Christian. I, yeah, I would say oh, that absolutely. and that that I do think that they that I wouldn't call their change for the better. I, I feel bad for them and I worry I think, about them.
2: I think the jury's out. This is the thing right. with faith is just like, is faith, how faith interacts with time. Like, this is why I love that Gillian Welch quote, like time is the revelator in her song. We we have like Paul in his videos, his, the one takeaway from the Paul commentary on the videos is just like, I'm reserving judgment. Mm -hmm. i mean that was what he kept saying over and over and over i'm not gonna judge i'm not gonna we don't know Mm -hmm. we don't know what's gonna happen with them i don't know what's gonna happen with me that's the whole thing like i said (laughs) i have no capacity to know like i feel like i can't doubt god who the heck knows what 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 could happen to me in 20 years Mm -hmm. i have no idea
0: my understanding with them is they they don't call themselves Christian anymore because they can't honestly say that they are what they understand a Christian to be. Yes. Right. What they understand a Christian to be is all the things that they laid out over their four or five or now six or seven, you know, different podcasts where they've started talking about this, of all the hallmarks of what an evangelical Christian is.
2: Yeah, and that's important.
0: And they said, I'm just, I'm just not at a place where I can say, honestly, yes, those hallmarks uh, or what I identify with, or what I assent to, or, you know, whatever, whatever the structure of belief is, they're saying, I honestly can't say that I believe those things anymore, regardless of how they got there. Um, I can, I can see and understand why they and I, I have heard d- stories of other people saying, you know, I just I really can't take the title Christian anymore. And I am kind of, the jury's out for me as to whether or not that is a bad thing. You know, my second one-on-one conversation with Paul, I talked a little bit about what what is it to be a Christian, you know, and I ran through a, a list of some of the, the research that I had found on, um, you know, C.S. Lewis talking about it. And then I went through part of, I didn't, I didn't have a name for it, deconstruction, but I went through part of my, I guess, deconstruction story. You know, I came out on the other end of deconstruction, never like you talked about luke never losing a belief that god is there or you know what my general beliefs about jesus are and and all that kind of stuff but um lost my train of thought but uh <laughs> i guess how, i was just how, gonna say yeah. no. oh, tell oh, more yeah, of your are. story jeff how much time do we have <laughs> <laughs> over an hour uh, all I was gonna say, all I was gonna say on that last piece, and then I'll I'll tell a little bit about my story, um, is in that conversation with Paul, um, you know, I, I retold the first time that I had heard the the story that's inside of C.S. Lewis's The Last Battle about the Emoth character, who lived his entire life devoted to the false god, as it's as it's laid out in that story, a false god named Tash. Um, not really either not being aware of Aslan or just thinking, ah, that's in another religion. That's not a real God. The real God is this God. And then whenever he dies, you know, he's in the afterlife and Aslan comes up to him and basically says, nah, you've been mine the whole time, buddy. Um, and you know, that's, that's, that's heresy in some of the evangelical circles that I grew up in, these same circles that laud and, t- Point people to C.S. Lewis and say, "Yeah, go read *Mere Christianity*. This will help bolster well, your say, faith."
2: Th- yeah, they'll <laughs> say C.S. Lewis is great. Ignore that whole Ameth, like that's right. a weird thing.
0: Right, the, yeah. he shouldn't have done that, especially in a children's book. But everything else, <clears throat> he's great. He's great. But, um, you know, I've been thinking a little bit about this uh, it just just here, listening to to you guys talk about if i did go through i guess i'll just call it a deconstruction because i can't think of a better way to describe it uh i just i hate labels um so whatever label that is the type of person that hates labels that's what i am Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, my my faith you know i i inherited my religious upbringing obviously from my my family and so a lot of the same things that rhett and link described of you know no drinking, no cussing, you're you're acting a certain way. This is how you embody uh what a Christian is like. Um that was all deeply instilled in our family. And um and you know, there there was never any alcohol in the house. Nobody ever drank anything in uh social gatherings. There was typically no alcohol at any social gatherings. Um and so that you know, that's just one piece of it, but um, I think my faith really started to shake, and a deconstruction process started. And my deconstruction, I think, went very slowly over a large span of time, too, similar to what they're describing. You know, maybe theirs was a 15 year period. Um, my, mine started uh, in my late teens when my parents um, got divorced. And you know, my parents were good, strong Christians from my perspective in, from, a, from a Christian evangelical perspective. Um, and my dad in particular was like, I guess on a pedestal for me as far as how someone like that should act. And you know, when, when their marriage broke up, there was just a lot of um, behavior and a lot of things that went on that were not congruent at all with what, how a Christian was supposed to conduct themselves. And, you know, at the time I had no clue. I've talked about this before, you know, that my dad was a, a he was an alcoholic um, and he's since passed away. But at the time I had no clue that my dad was an alcoholic. Alcohol was never around. So if somebody had asked me or even you know, somebody had told me that they suspect that he was one. It was like, you're insane. I don't know what you're talking about. So uh, different things combined, you know, the faith that I grew up in, um, all of that being intertwined. And then my picture of, of my dad and what our family was just completely shattering made me start to question my faith and, and, helped me decide whether or not is, is this thing that I have? Is this something that just, you know, my parents gave to me? And so that's why I have it. Or is this my own? And that's when I started to investigate is probably too strong of a word. You know, I'm not, I, I would not be let into an Ivy League college. <laughs> uh, so I would, you know, I would listen to smart people, but it wasn't trying to rely on smart people to kind of define my faith. Um, it wasn't like, well, if I can find a hundred smart people who believe what I believe then it's reasonable to believe it. It was just, I I just want to hear the arguments. I want to hear the arguments from both sides. And, you know, I was, this was also the advent of, um, the internet in the nineties. And, uh, I could actually start seeing very strong arguments from both sides. And I finally got to a place that said, you know, these, these arguments, they're never going to prove it one way or the other. Each time I find one that sways me in one direction, I find one just as powerful that sways me in the other direction. And so I got to the point where I said, "It's not going." Kind of similar to Rhett, there's there's not going to be any intellectual thing that's going to bring me to a place of figuring out whether or not this is, this is true. Um, and so I just, you know, I as I was through my late teens and early 20s, I just, we did not go to church anymore. We had stopped going to church as a, as a family, not, not because, you know, we had any problems per se, but just, I guess just church wasn't a place that any of us really wanted to be at that point. So I never got involved in church, really. Um, I, I guess I've never talked to my family about this, so I'll just speak for myself. I I never felt that draw that it seemed like Rhett and Link felt to, like, get involved and to just become, as they said here in the evangelical Christian South, become white hot with your faith. You know, anytime that I heard anybody talking about that, I'm like, yeah, it just doesn't, I wouldn't feel like I was being truthful if I just jumped in and started doing those things or started leading things. You know, I just never felt, I don't know, it just for me it didn 't feel authentic for me to do something like that um, other people that 's great if you feel it when you 're doing it it just it seemed kind of weird to me. It seemed odd and so there was there was um so so I never got involved in church i 'm still tangentially i 'm not even really involved in anything in the church that I attend right now. I just go to sunday service i Um, you know, we, we have a worship time beforehand, the pastor gives a message and then I'm not really involved. I've been involved in some of the youth stuff when my kids were younger, just to be there in it with them. Um, and then I've also taught like a, a Dave Ramsey financial peace class that people stopped showing up to at the end. So I'm just like, what, (laughs)
2: what is the purpose of this you were so good they didn't need the last one. yeah they didn't need it after
0: the first couple weeks they were like oh he's great no I think the I think the real thing was they they put all of the they put all of the classes online so people were just watching (laughs) watching it at home and it was like there's no reason for me to come I can get all I need out of this book and out of what I have online but um so as I was listening to Rhett and Link's story one of the things that just really irritated me and really expose some of my own self-righteousness and some of my own pride, I guess, or uh, I'm better than you type thing, is I think you guys were, again, this, this isn't what I think is true. I am just admitting, uh, this is a confession. This is the feelings that were stirring in me of you guys were chumps for getting involved in this in the first place and thinking that this is what faith was. And now you're coming out of it and you're like, you're shitting on it <laughs> for lack of a yeah. better word. This is how I'm experiencing it. Yep. You're shitting on something that was bogus in the first place. And again, I'm not, I'm not, <laughs> I need to be very careful with my words here because I, I am not expressing what I think is true. I'm expressing how I was sensing it, right? How felt about it. Yeah. How I felt about it. I'm not trying to offend anybody. I'm not saying I'm not saying that people's faith and their different traditions and the way that they express their faith is bogus. Yeah. I'm saying for me I never bought into it. And so some of my own insecurities about my uh intellectual life sees these two guys on YouTube who were trained in the STEM field uh, mm-hmm. and just thinking how am, how was I smarter than you guys to not fall for all this? And you did. Um,
2: hey Jeff, and, nice. you know,
0: as as I've listened to them more and more, I'm just like, all right, I'm, I'm glad that I can admit that I was feeling that way. But that's not, I know that that's not the truth uh, from from any angle. You know, I, I am ultimately able to see Rhett and Link in the light of my own, deconstruction reconstruction which i haven't really talked about at all um of seeing they are on their journeys too and they have not reached a point where they have said oh i am certain there's no such thing as god and so i i see i see that as a positive thing uh where they have arrived is just in a place where i think they feel like uh, these aren't their words this is my interpretation i think that they felt have felt like they've been suffocated their entire careers in the youtube world because they have had to hide um, their deep ties to evangelical christianity and how they might be judged uh, mm-hmm. for how they are linked to all that and in the process while they've been trying to keep that they haven't been overt about it but they've also you know without really trying just being quiet about it because uh again what i sense is yeah i can't i can't really talk about this because the way the things that i've grown up in i i haven't really landed at a place on it but at the same time in this new community that i'm with i have become more and more uh in line with with seeing things from these other perspectives and i also don't want to uh, offend or harm uh, or come across as not loving to any of these people. And and I think that's a part of what their deconstruction is on the, on the LGBTQ thing is, you know, dropping these things that I was told I needed to believe uh, in particular about that group of people. Um, but then also, you know, things about, about hell um, they were, one of their big hangups. Uh, and to a certain extent, this is one of my hangups too, but it's one thing that the Ema story in the last battle helped me with is, you know, if, if somebody, uh, doesn't know Christ in the way that the evangelical Christian church says, you have to know Christ, then you're going to suffer eternal conscious torment in hell. And, in, in a broader view of Christianity, besides only the the evangelical Christian piece of what I like to I'm just thinking up right now you know uh, picturing as a as a Christian puzzle um, a broader Christian view says well you you don't necessarily have to look at it that way and you know and Nathan Jacobs, in his second conversation with Paul Vanderclay, even laid out you know an Eastern uh, Orthodox Christian, um, perspective, you know, some of the church father perspectives on the afterlife and, and hell and, and what that could be like. And, you know, in the, I guess in, in the long run, a lot, all of it, well, anything afterlife, anything, uh, I think Link talked about the ineffable. Um, it, it is all a lot of suppositions, um, And so I I don't know where I'm going with all this. I don't know if I really told much of my story, but it's, it all just feels kind of intertwined with Rhett and Link. And, and part of me is frustrated that it seems like they, in some of their episodes, they landed in different places than I did. And that frustrates me. And I'm still trying to figure out why, you know, my wife has said, well, maybe it's because you're scared of landing in that same place as them. And I'm not sure that that's it. I think, I think when I was scared of things like that, it was much earlier in my process. I, I don't feel scared of those things anymore, but at the same time, I can't figure out why I have felt so frustrated at times with um, listening to Rhett and Link stories. You know, there are other times where I'm listening to them and I'm like, yes, right on, absolutely. I understand that. That makes perfect sense. I, I'm with you guys. Um, so, but. Uh,
2: one question I had, Jeff, when you were talking. Um, is when you were because I understand what you're saying and in half of me half of my consciousness congress completely agrees you know with your feeling of not understanding or even superiority of like why did you you know questioning toward Rhett and Link like why did you believe that you had to be certain about these things in this way, and like, and I didn't fall down that path, and so that didn't lead me down a path of doubt and deconstruction because there are other options. However, like my pushback to that would be a couple things. Um, maybe part of that is is like, I think someone cannot be forced into that area again of exclusion if they keep that internal. And so you don't get brought into the kind of conflict where you're, where you're forced to make some of those kinds of decisions and be excluded or there are also, and I don't know if part of this is just the certain denominations or church culture that you grew up in um, where those kinds of things were more avoidable because like I really relate to uh, Rhett and Link's, church culture like the names that they're dropping what they're talking about being like reformed baptists i mean they were dispensationalists which i wasn't as much but like on a whole the kind of church culture that they were in i know i know those people those are my people and and i can really relate to them that like you cannot the reason that they thought that christianity and faith and being a christian was directly connected to thinking about it in all these certain ways because that's what they were taught yep
0: yep that's
2: why they thought that
0: (laughs) but i was that's the problem i was taught that too
2: okay well i didn't know that you were explicitly (laughs) taught that kind of stuff you just said like whatever i'm taught that but no yeah
0: yeah and i i just i don't know why it would take there's there's a i've been talking for a long time there's there's one other component to all this that I'm trying to piece together and as far as how I've processed it, I I can get into that right now, but I wanted you to give you a chance to say something, Sam. Uh,
1: I was just gonna ask you a question, so keep going.
0: (laughs) Oh, okay. Um, Well, as I've been analyzing this, um, (laughs) and when I talked about how I felt frustration about how maybe they've landed um, someplace uh, where where I didn't on certain things, I started thinking a little bit about, I think it was something that Paul had laid out, even when he was talking a little bit about you, Sam, on on one of his videos, um, where he mentioned how, let's let's say Christians, for example. um, Some Christians might be more welcoming or more open to someone who, let's say, is an atheist, who is kind of like inclined towards learning more about Christianity um prospect. But they are, yes.
2: Yeah. yes if they think they're going to get on board and say all the right things and have all the right beliefs yeah they're sure open to that
0: well a, a, was, a
1: conversion prospect yeah yes a
0: conversion prospect yeah that's probably the best way to put it but they are knives out when it's someone like you sam where it's just like wait you've been in all this and you're not landing where we right. need to land on and this? you know what like, you
2: think about it and you can talk about it get yeah. him out of here
0: and <laughs> it's like it's quick. it's it's something that was, that was categorized, I think, of like a, uh, a almost on a sociolog- sociological level of like a, a traitor mindset, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Sam, someone like you was seen as like a traitor in the yeah, tribe. I've been told um, as such, yeah. <laughs> and, and I saw this dynamic. Uh, I perceived this dynamic in um, David Fuller. David Fuller was on, um, Andrea with the bangs channel. He's, he runs rebel wisdom along with another guy. They've interviewed Paul Vanderclay. They've, you know, they've done a lot of stuff. they talked to Jordan Peterson. Um, I, I noticed this dynamic, at least what I thought it was when David Fuller went and interviewed Dave Rubin. Dave Rubin yes. was somebody who was staunchly on the left along with, you know, um, david fuller he says you know i'm i'm of the left um but he doesn't like where dave rubin ended up now he will he will say well no i i didn't like how he was giving platforms to people who were saying some atrocious things and you know whatever you think about
1: yeah not being a hard enough interviewer right he had a couple critiques like that but it didn't seem to yeah his, his critiques didn't seem to match up with how harsh he was to him
0: yeah. And, and so that interview with him, like really turned me off, like to, yes. to David Fuller for a little while, you know, and I got butthurt about it. And so I didn't watch for a while. And I eventually went back and, and watched some more. And I think what Rebel Wisdom does is some really neat stuff. But as I started to think about it, I started to perceive at least it as a possibility that David Fuller saw Dave Rubin as a traitor from I his tribe. And that, that I think you're right. And that is what I saw coming out in his uh, conversation with Dave Rubin. Now, David Fuller might say, well, that's a mischaracterization of my motivations. You can't know what my motivations are. And he's 100% correct. I have no idea. It was just a perception of mine. Whether or not it's true, I don't know. I am linking that now to how I am responding to Rhett and Link's story of mm. feeling like, Well, you guys have gone through a deconstruction process. I went through a deconstruction process. I feel like you're throwing out a lot of baby with bathwater and you guys are really pissing me off because Mm -hmm. you were, again, this is my feeling. This isn't, this isn't where I am. This isn't me saying, and I am right about all of this stuff that I'm throwing out Mm -hmm. here now. This is, this is me being introspective. Keep going. Um, This is good. This is good. You, you guys went. And you, you were leading churches, you were leading students and um, you shouldn't, you, sh- you were in the tribe. You know, what I did, again, this is my self-righteousness saying, I never took it upon myself to think it was okay for me to start teaching people and telling people that this was the truth and you should have been smarter than this. And you mm. shouldn't have gone out and, you know, this is, ju- this is Judgmental Jeff. Maybe that's what my own personal YouTube channel will be called. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. <clears throat> coming out and saying, you guys should have never, if, if you'd have been paying attention to what you were being taught by your evangelical pastors, you would have paid attention to uh, one of the admonitions or one, or one of the teachings that, that Paul gave to Timothy, or, or maybe, I don't remember where it was, but somewhere in the New Testament. You shouldn't presume to teach people this stuff you should take it with with solemn um you you should wander in with with grave sincerity not sincerity but man you better really think long and hard about this before you go and you try to to teach people um about about god i don't know i don't know what the context was there but this is the way that i had always taken it and so i'm just like I I am never going to go up and try to lead people or try to be the one that's teaching people. And then now you're coming out of it, you know, I'm treating them as, as traitors where it's just like, and now you're leaving and on the way out, you're saying, Oh, by the way, you know, um, I don't want to mischaracterize what they were saying, but it's, it's like, well, we don't believe that stuff anymore. Mm-hmm. And there's just a certain level, and I know people are feeling this way out there too. And and Rhett and Link have even said, you know, we were expecting because we felt the same way when people would leave. Um, but it's like there there is nothing that Rhett and Link have talked about in their deconstruction that is um, a revelation to me, where it's just like, oh, okay yeah, you got, wow, you guys have encountered something that I have not yet encountered. And so I can see how you ended up where you're kind of ending up now. Like I I didn't land in the same place. So there's, there's several different dynamics backing, uh, bouncing around here, but these are just some of the things as, as I've been thinking about it and watching and listening and talking Mm -hmm. to other people about it that are, that are going on inside me. And I don't think that um some of these things that are coming out of me are fair and are right to level at them these are just all things that i'm dealing with internally and so you know if somebody watches this uh if (laughs) retin link will never watch this but if they watch this they're gonna watch it we're gonna hashtag
2: it ear biscuits
0: i am (laughs) yeah we should we'll hashtag it ear biscuits i am not one of those people that wants to attack you guys i i think my my own personal place where I have landed uh, as the the truth that I as I understand it so far which is probably 90% wrong maybe even 99% wrong um, but I think is true as I see it right now is everyone the the truth that everyone sees and I I think I said it I said this I think much better in my first conversation with Paul Vanderclay, but all of these different ways of of seeing reality and of and of understanding God and and re, the religion and the different traditions that we use, whether they are in the Christian tradition or outside of the Christian tradition, but they are based in some type of belief that there is purpose or perhaps a a, uh, a higher power. Um, wherever you are and however you see it, and whatever you feel most strongly about is is the place where you need to be or it's what you need right now. It's almost like uh, if we're, if we're to, to talk about Christianity for a second, if you're in a far left progressive Christian denomination uh, and you feel safe and comfortable to work out what you're trying to work out, I believe that that's actually where you need to be. The, those, I think that these different And people may disagree with this, you know, if they're more Eastern Orthodox or if they're um, Roman Catholic. But I just feel like whatever whatever room you walk into, if you look at denominations as rooms, this was an illustration that Lewis used in in Mere Christianity, whatever, you're walking through the hallway Mm. of Christianity, whatever room you end up in, that that's the place where you need to be And, and sometimes yeah. you need to leave. He didn't say this. I'm saying this. Sometimes you need to leave that room and you need to go back in, into the hallway and wander around a little bit. And sometimes you need to go into another room and, Oh, this fits a little bit better. This, this helps me breathe a little bit more. This helps me expand. And I get the sense that that is what's happening with Rhett and Link at yeah. this point in, in their journey.
2: I think that's really good Jeff and I would just add to that I I agree I don't even interestingly you talked about orthodoxy and I was just talking to my priest the other day and he was saying is it we were talking about some personal dynamics between people and I think this is true and this is where I've come myself I mean religion must be without coercion without compulsion amen I mean, you can't tell anybody where they need to be the the caveat so you were saying wherever the and this is the 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 trouble with all of that and the difficulty for me is like, I agree with everything you said, but the one addition I would add on that, though, is like, it has to be honest. Um, and I think that's the struggle. I mean, this is the problem that I get into. This is why I love psychoanalysis so much is so, so many of us, myself, in- <gasps> so many of us, myself included, we lost him.
1: We lost Luke. Um. Or oh, no, we lost.
2: Yeah, he'll come back. Probably, Wait a minute. But-
1: it says, it's saying... Oh no! It says you're the host.
2: Okay. I'm the host now. Oh, all right, yeah.
1: you're still here. Okay, I can so, still hear you. All right.
2: But so many of us are self-deluded in what we think, and we're all deceived to varying degrees. And so, like you, maybe think you need to be in this place at a time, and maybe you do. Like no matter, I mean, no matter what, y- you have to live within your own conviction and go with what you think in the moment. I mean, how could you do anything else?
1: Yeah.
2: Um, but the problem sounds is, sounds a little is,
1: Protestant like, though.
2: Well, no, I do, it's not, though. I mean, I think it's fully orthodox. Like, I think you can hold those things in, and I think a Roman Catholic would say that the same, too. Like, um, I've heard Bishop Barron say as much. I think, I mean, t- there are tribalist, orthodox, and Catholic that are going to say, like, you have to be in the, okay, so here's the thing. I will hold both of these things fully in tension, just to throw the, my cards on the table. I don't think there's salvation outside of the church. I don't think there is. Um, but yet, but I'm also a Christian universalist. So I just, and I don't pretend to know how that's going to play out. Um, it's, it's just kind of like, I, I hold those two in a way that's just like, with a lot of, uh, I would say, with like a mystical certainty. Like, I think those things are true, but I don't, I don't dare to tell you how, that I think I know all of the parts that can add up to the sum. I don't know how that all works. I don't understand it mechanistically in like a formula. Uh, But I think it's true. Like there just, there isn't salvation out of Christ. There isn't. Do I think the, the difference that makes me really confusing for people is just like, I don't know how that relates to conscious articulated profession, especially here and now. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I'm very, I think that's a, I think that's the problem of of a tradition that Rhett and Link grew in and, and what's so dubious about it is they think that like salvation is about this conscious, articulated, professional belief of facts and that's what faith is.
1: Or some internalized sense of epistemological certainty right. that is very... Um connected and analogous to scientific definitions of how you can know. things.
2: Right, right. right? It's like meant, this internal
1: yeah. feeling of like, oh, well, I think gravity, I think E equals MC squared. Yeah, right. Man, look, you know, we blow up atomic bombs, man, it seems to work. Right. right. And so so where where are my atomic bombs of faith? Well, I'm not seeing them. So it must not be as true as E equals MC squared or whatever.
2: Right, and that's the whole – I mean, yeah, absolutely. What? uh, Shoot, there was something that Jeff was saying that I think was really valuable that I didn't want to lose when he was talking about – oh, so without derailing this all from the line that we were on, but you were talking about how you get really – you can get upset with Rhett and Lankin field. And I think the trader thing is key. I'd like to yes. go into that more. because I think that's very critical. I, I, think, I think we
1: need your story soon. Uh, well, I bet you've been called a trader too.
2: <laughs> I don't know if it's, I don't know if explicitly, but it was definitely implied. Um, mm. uh, I think that the trader is connected to exclusion. It's And it's almost like I reposted this, uh tim keller mike horton and matt chandler who i almost guarantee Rhett and link have heard of and know because they were in those circles uh from the gospel coalition like 10 years ago or something now i posted it in the discord but it's one of my favorite videos it's like a signpost for me but it's essentially like how to disagree and um and keller just talks beautifully about how to disagree with people and what that looks like and what we ought not do and it's wonderful but he um he, he was saying within that, that he said, sometimes the people that are hardest to you, and this is what you guys said earlier, the, the closer you are to me, the harsher I am to you almost. Mm-hmm. Like if you're in my denomination, I'm just like, you should know better, mm-hmm. you know? And you get really mad and that's, and I'm that way too. It's just like my wife, like I'm the hardest on my wife or my kids. Cause I'm just like, good God, how much do we got to talk about this? Like yeah. you should know. yeah um, And, and I, they feel and the
0: same that, way about us huh? Yes. They feel the same way about us. No, absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) But
2: but I think the traitor thing is key. And so like you, you get mad at Rhett and Link because you're like, why'd you leave? Why are you throwing the baby out with the bathwater? Like you should know better. I, on the other hand, get really mad at the at the experts and the people who promulgate the kind of culture that Retin Link left, those are the traders to me. The ones that the ones that stay and continue, and and I think create the culture. Maybe this is the liberal postmodernist in me that create the culture that that keep producing Retin Links. And then you say your culture keeps producing these people that leave all the time. The only people that stay are the people that aren't even thinking about it, or that are just yes men, and they're just like. Nope, we're going to double down because we're right. And, you know, it's the gospel of just try harder. If it ain't working, just try it more. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: Well, I, and I think the truth is I'm, as I'm digging around and finding this this traitor instinct or this instinct to attack the traitor um, rise up in me, uh, I, I think the truth is um, – Everybody is, and and I've heard this articulated before. Uh, this isn't my thought. Uh, I'm forgetting her name. Um, my wife and Sarah like reading her books. I've completely drawn a blank. Brene Brown. Oh. Oh. Brene Brown says, <laughs> it sucks to think this because you don't want to. And in, and when you do, it just helps you become humble. Um, everybody really is probably doing the best that they can.
2: Yeah.
0: You know? Rhett, Rhett and Link are doing the best that they can. The ones that I'm mad at. Um, so Jeff, Rhett and Link are doing the best that they can. David Fuller. It, it, David, my my perception of David Fuller, uh, This uh, Dave Rubin is doing the best that he can. Um, Luke, the church leaders who promulgate this type of uh, atmosphere, they're really doing the best that they can. Now, If we take that attitude, um, are there some people who are being dishonest intentionally because they have other motives for driving those things? Yeah. In all probability,
2: yes. maybe not even intentional.
0: Yeah, it's maybe not even intentional. In all probability, there are some people who are not doing the best that they can, but in all probability, am I not doing the best that I can? Uh, that's a question, you know, that I have to start asking myself before I start looking at every, at other people, particularly the people that are most close to me and saying, yeah. I know you're not doing the best that you can. Um, you know, well, it's it's, a, it's, a both it's hard and, enough. Right? Yeah, it's a both and. And I realized, <laughs> you know what? I, I I am doing the best that I can but could I do better and it's back to the Peterson thing right I'll I'll compare myself to who I was yesterday mm-hmm. and I'm going to see am I am I <laughs> wow at the end of today was I worse than yesterday's version of Jeff yeah I was <laughs> and if I'm actually doing intentional analysis maybe maybe I can do better but then you know, I can, I can feed back into that exactly what you were talking about, Luke. That, that could just turn me back into the religion of just try harder, right? So um, I, I don't know what my point with all of this is, but it's ultimately just realizing that that instinct to, to pull out the knives and go attack who I see as traitors is not going to lead to anything productive or, or fruitful.
1: Yeah. just more exclusion. Yeah. Yeah. Considering the theological background that they came from, that sort of refer, reformed Baptist thing. One word that almost never came up in the six, seven hours that I've listened to them in this last week was grace. Mm. Right? They, I. There was part of me that was like, "Well, wait a minute, guys! Like, you that where you don't even seem to remember or articulate the gospel that you claim to no longer believe in." Right, like mm. I know that those people that you were listening to, Red and Link, and those churches that you were in were talking to you about grace and and forgiveness and all of those sorts of things. Where's that language now and they They seem to constantly describe their past selves as always not feeling good enough, especially Link, right? Rhett was the one who was a little bit more intellectual. What about the second chromosome? And and Link was the one who's like, man, I'm just not feeling this anymore. I can't yeah. get up in front of worship, right? Like, where was the grace? Where was the forgiveness? I know it must have been there sometime.
2: So why aren't you
1: talking about that now or describing what that was back in your past life?
2: Right, that's a it,
1: great question. Say-
0: they did say in one of, it may have been today's podcast, uh, or maybe the last one. Um, well, not today's podcast, the one that we listened to today. I think they put it out on March 1st, where they said, they, they did say they got that feedback that said, well, you guys just don't understand grace well enough. Mm-hmm. Um, but I can't remember if they actually talked about that beyond just saying we got that feedback.
2: So what I would say in response to that, uh, Sam, is that, and this isn't universal, I mean, again, I'm not, I'm going to speak in generalities, like there are exceptions to this rule, but my experience in that culture is that especially, especially in the intellectual doctrinal dogmatic, what do I believe confessional aspects of that world, there is no grace. There isn't grace in those. There's grace in the personal aspects. Like if you sin against your wife or you sin against another person or you're mean to your kids and you repent or what, there's grace in those aspects, but there isn't in the ideas. It's either right or it's not. And, and, and I would say they even talked about this in like the young, restless reform. I don't know if they use that term, but they were talking about being the frozen chosen and that idea they were saying like it's it's this it's this abstract cold idea in the head that has no practical application you know because they were talking about predestination and i mean that's a that's a well-known uh caricature but also has truth to it of like reformed communities of the the frozen chosen because it's kind of just like well it, it seemingly removes, and I think it's a caricature, it's a hyper-Calvinism, but it seemingly removes agency of like, if all of this is predestined, what does it matter? Which I, so perhaps
1: I, there was no intellectual grace?
2: No, I think, it, I think it was preached and mm-hmm. taught, but, but I don't think that there was grace for, I don't think there were certain forms of grace. Like grace wasn't universally applied is probably what I would say. It was taught, no doubt. I'm sure it was taught, but I don't think it was universally applied, like in the aspect of like, how, can we have unity with diversity of opinions on things? Can we not split and exclude people based on ideas? There's no grace for that. You either believe or you don't believe. Like, yeah, we'll accept with the certainty. atheist. Yeah. And we'll, be- like, and we'll accept the atheist if he's going to convert and believe all the right stuff or me. This is the way that I could get into my personal story. So yeah, like,
1: let's hear it. <clears throat>
2: And I'll try to be brief. We've already been talking a long time. And, but uh, a lot of it ties around the doctrine of hell. So, I mean, I've, I've always been, um, I've done big five personality stuff. I'm just, I'm very liberally inclined. I have like 98th percentile openness. I've just always been the guy that, I'm always looking for the thing that nobody else is seeing. I'm just like, wh- why do we, I don't want to focus on the stuff we all see. Like, we got that. We all see it. Let's focus on the other stuff um so uh, sometime on youtube when i was living uh so we tra- I traveled a lot but i i watched a video between chris Day, your boy um and uh i think eric hernandez or something hernandez was the guy's name wasn't <laughs> it phil, phil fernandez phil maybe he's I an think- apologist type guy yeah i can't remember his name but it, it was on the doctrine of hell and it was on uh uh, Phil. Yeah, I think Phil was right. Sounds right. Phil Hernandez was taking the eternal conscious torment or the traditional position. And I would just preface it by saying all of this is in like an Augustinian Western Christianity. It's the tradition in the West of eternal conscious torment and annihilationism. And I have no idea how I got there. I have no idea how I watched it. I have no idea how it came up in the algorithm, but I watched it. It's like a two hour debate. Chris Date is like an exegesis freak. And he's, um. he's very, he was in my camps. He's reformed. He's exegetical. He's a Bible guy. I just believe the Bible, sola scriptura, Protestant. I was like, that was my guy. I watched this debate and I remember thinking like, what? Chris State is the only one who made solid biblical points. Like the other guy was just doing really weak philosophy that didn't even hold up. And he wasn't, he like, he couldn't contest any of the biblical points. And I was just like, but but that's not the right view. And I just had like a rug pulled moment where I was just like, what? Like does not compute, you know? And then, and that led me down this long road. How old are you? I was, I was an adult. We had kids, all our kids were born. So I was probably like, I don't know, I was probably like six seven years ago something like that six seven years ago um and uh yes six maybe and um and so that just sent me down this big rabbit hole of just like researching the doctrine of hell and the different positions on hell and different things and i just remember thinking like because i found out all this stuff like there's three common views of hell that have been held since the beginning of the church and i was just like i had no idea about any of this. And I was like, why wasn't I told any of this stuff? Like, this is crazy. And I remember thinking it all. And then, and then I had the thought in my head, okay, and I, I started to get like more of an idea of what I think about hell. Like I just researched it like a fanatic for a long time. And then I was just like, oh, okay, wait, wait, wait. Let's, this, I had no idea about anything in regard to hell. What else don't I have any idea about that I'm just completely in the dark about? that I think I really believe and I just have no idea. And then, and then all of a sudden, that line of thinking started me thinking. And I was just like, oh, this is a problem. Mm-hmm. Like, this whole thing is a problem. <laughs> the hell issue is just like one. It's just like a particular of a general that's a big deal.
1: It's one snake, but there's a den of snakes out there's there. There's a
2: den of snakes. And, I'm, and, and essentially, that's been like everything I talk about since then has been about the den of snakes. Like, that's mm-hmm. all I talk about is the den of snakes essentially, which I called this, whatever that you guys know. So, um, and, and that, but, but I never, but within all of that, I never, I never, I don't know. I just never had the certainty thing. Like, and I've learned a lot of this language later. I always just knew like, well, of course, God's bigger than my ideas about him. And even though this church told me this my whole life, well, there's all these other positions that are, acceptable within the within other facets of christianity so it's fine like i just never went down the path of like i can no longer believe things i was i did have some of the rat like resentment of like why didn't you tell me this you're the Mm -hmm. ones who've been to seminary you should know this and so i was angry about that so then what really happened though the, the biggest thing is so i knew all this i knew that i was i no longer believed in eternal conscious torment like, I essentially think it's just, it's almost impossible to defend from the Bible. Like, on a Protestant Sola Scriptura frame, good luck. Yeah. Um, And, uh, but then we were moving. I was moving back to South Dakota, and I knew there was this church I was going to go to. It was a church plan, actually, from a church that I had attended in Minneapolis. And we were going to go there, and in good faith, I wanted to just be like, I've got to be totally above board with this guy. And so, when when we went there to like check things out, I had a meeting with this guy and I was just like, okay, listen, this is where I am. This is what happened to me. This is what I believe about hell. This is what's going on. We want to come to church here. This is where we come from. You know, I just told him all the info and, um, and he was all cool with that. Like essentially how you said, like how someone is really cool with the atheist convert. He was really cool with me. Cause he was just like, oh, you're just, this is why I say, like, people are okay when you believe different things, as long as you're in process with, with the unspoken assumption that you are eventually going to end up where I am.
0: Yes, 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 yes.
2: So people are fine with that. Like, that's great, as long as you eventually get the right view.
1: And maybe I'm the one that can help you. Oh, right. Yeah, right. There's not a
2: there's not a second. And then this is where it's self deceptive. And I and I don't think it's like, it's, coming from bad intentions is that I think really these people, and this is self-delusion, I think. I think they really do believe, like, if you ask them, they'd give you the Sunday school answer, could you be wrong about this? Mm-hmm. They'd be like, yes, of course I am. They don't act like it. They don't yeah. over time. And so, like, I went to this church, had this issue, and, and, um, and I was explicit with the pastor saying, you know, like, I want this is something I want to process in community. Mm-hmm. I don't want to just process on my own. Like we believe we're not just individualists. We, we discern these things communally. Doctrine matters. Like I was trying to be faithful to all the things that I had been taught, but I just had a different view on something. Uh, the short version is like that just, that wasn't, I just, I didn't come. I didn't, I stayed where I was and I wasn't convinced to go back to eternal conscious torment. I didn't think it was right. And I didn't <clears throat> and I was okay, for the most part, not talking about it. But yet, but yet, right, I, the issue of hell in and of itself, like, I can just let that go. But yet, but yet, I wasn't okay to not talk about the den of snakes. Mm-hmm. Like the den of snakes bothered me. Because like, whatever, I can let hell go. That's fine. But like, this is unhealthy. There's a den of snakes. Mm-hmm. And and we have no mechanism to deal with this den of snakes. And you're going to continue having people that just leave when they see a snake and try to deal with it. And you're going to be like, there are no snakes. Get out of here.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And, um, and essentially, I mean, the short version is like that's essentially why left Protestantism. is. Um, I never found – I actually think as a spiritual collective consciousness, they have – there's nothing within Protestantism that allows them to deal with the den of snakes.
1: Besides making a different church.
2: Right. Besides, div- besides, besides schism, schism and division. Right. And mm-hmm. I was like, and I don't, and I can't do that. Like I, I, I almost, I almost consider it a moral failure that I left Protestantism because I don't me picking Orthodoxy is almost like, I mean, how much more Protestant could you get? Mm-hmm. But like, I just couldn't. I couldn't. There's
1: something paradoxical about, uh, I want the tradition that doesn't schism and doesn't allow people to just run around and pick whatever they want to believe. Totally. So I'm going to run around and pick and believe that. I, I'm yeah. I'm not criticizing you. I know that, that you know that. Yeah. Yeah,
2: I get it. It's just it, it's more it's more it's more my uh, either hypersensitive or weak emotional constitution. Like I just I'm too neurotic and like I I'm just sitting in church the whole time just thinking like den of snakes den of snakes den of snakes den of snakes mm-hmm. and like mm-hmm. I can't let it go. And I perseverate on it. It drives me crazy. And, and, like, and what, what was so hard is I just happened to be in a specific tradition that was very focused on doctrinal precision and doctrinal truth and that we need to believe right things. And so, like, even the, for, the format would never let me just sit there and be with people and talk about practical life aspects because it's like we need to be teaching biblical truth. And I just be like, you can't. You can't do that in a healthy way. Because if there's a den of snakes you're not dealing with. Mm-hmm. So like I was caught in this weird place where like I wanted to let it go, but they wouldn't let me kind of. And, and and it just it just became incompatible and I couldn't deal with it. And really what eventually led to it is I was so upset all the time that it was just carrying over into like our personal life our family life our practical life. And I was just, cause I care, like I care about the, it's the church is probably the most valuable thing to me in this world. Amen. And, and I, and it, and it drove me crazy. And, and I had no way, and there was no means of, I, I couldn't do anything. You know, and mm-hmm. I just felt in this crazy place and then I'd talk to my wife about it all the time and my wife isn't inclined to talk about this stuff to begin with, and she was just <laughs> like, and she was just like, We have to, like something has to change. Right. Like we can't keep doing this. And I and I couldn't, like for whatever reason, just like my constitution, maybe it's sinful. I you know, like I just couldn't I I I couldn't be at peace. All right. And what's interesting is like when I went to, like when I went to orth, orthodoxy and in the orthodox church, completely gone, it's completely gone. That dynamic just doesn't even exist within orthodoxy. It's completely alien to it. It doesn't mean they don't have their issues. Then this is what mm-hmm. I think people always confuse me when I'm talking about this. Maybe Jeff isn't going to come back. Is they think that I'm saying like orthodox?
1: Oh, is, Jeff isn't going to come back. He he messaged us.
2: Oh, did he? Okay. Um, I I don't think orthodoxy. Orthodoxy is tribal. Sure, they are. They have problems. They're sinful. Yes, not in the same way that I'm talking about. So that was that's kind of my story, and and I think it's um and so that's that's where like i have a lot of sympathy for Rhett and link i'm like i feel like i feel like i understand your situation and what you went through perfectly do i like jeff have <clears throat> some frustrations like we're we're like with jeff i'm like should you have tried to talk about it and be vocal with people sure i think i know how that would have went and it wouldn't mm-hmm. have went well
1: there was something um, interesting when was it link or red or did they both sort of echo this idea? And this is something that you and I are acutely familiar with is that they didn't want to become some pastor's project mm. in their deconstructive process where the squeaky wheel who has all the questions
2: mm.
1: suddenly starts absorbing a lot of the pastor's time yeah. and the pastor can't really deal with it especially right. if the person is a little, you know, uh, curious and or talented in terms of digging into a specific question faster and deeper than they have the training or can keep up with.
2: Right. Right. And, and, and that, also like pastors are doing, I also understand the fact that pastors are largely, I mean, they're busy. A lot of pastors work I mean, way above normal working hours and they're doing really taxing not only the like high, like va- biblical exegetical preaching things like that's a big thing intellectually, but also emotional. I mean, they're doing all the pastoral stuff too.
1: Yeah, and they don't even get weekends off.
2: Yeah. And so, I mean, I get all that. And, and like, I was at a church plant too. So mm-hmm. like, it's even, so they're just like, listen, we're just trying to make sure this doesn't collapse. Shut up. Right. Please. And that's,
1: that's the hard part is there's some amount of rationality to that. Sure. Right. There's some amount of, you know, if you've got limited attention resources, right? Right. And limited pastoral time and energy and intellectual focus. Right. It makes sense not to spend it on people
2: like us. Right. But then my problem was like what I, I go back to the den of snakes, which I love that visual and i'm just like
1: that's straight jordan peterson you know that but
2: yeah yeah but i think it's pertinent in this and i'm just like uh yes i realize you're planning a church but are you planning a church with a den of snakes Mm -hmm. you might want to figure that out before you want to make sure that this works yeah you know but but i just could never the and this is the problem really is that at least certain certain parts of the evangelical church this gets into my critique of confessionalism are so insular ideologically that like they have no idea what they don't know you can't see mm-hmm. you don't know what you don't see mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. i think but i'm just like you've built the system to do that mm-hmm. um, so i get it and it, and it's really and i feel like i'm in this because <clears throat> i don't relate to like a retin link Go over here and become like lose your faith i mean i i under I empathize with it, but that's not me mm-hmm. um so I was always in this place, and I got that all the time, like I got the slippery slope thing of like because my pastor said he'd be like, you know you're reading Rob bell, you're reading Pete Rollins, you're reading. Pete ends. You're reading Richard Rohr. You're reading all these guys. Well, you read
1: Richard Rohr. Well, that's a split. That one,
2: (laughs) right? Then I mean, whatever. You annihilationist. You're reading Edward Fudge. You're reading people that aren't the prescribed book list, and so we can find you a church that's more like what what you're looking for. And I was just like, I'm not looking for another church. Mm -hmm. I'm looking to stay in this church, but I'm reading these books, and I would like to talk about them because it's just alternate perspective like that's that's the problem is like there's no way to there's no way to have the communion is around our ideas
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and the communion isn't around the the bread and the
2: wine i mean you could yeah that's a maybe a simple way to put it and well, i do you think it, like, you
1: could get the orthodox church to loosen up the the nicene creed thing
2: and then <laughs> uh... i don't think so are I they don't...
1: they're pretty committed to that aren't they <laughs>
2: I think it's just, like, getting the Orthodox Church to change anything within, like, the way... <laughs>
1: yeah, getting them to change anything, period.
2: Yeah, the way that, like, a biblicist approaches the Bible, I mean, that's how they approach tradition. I don't think that they hold it in a, um, I don't know, I mean, it's kind of dogmatic, but it's more just, like, we don't... They The, the kind of, like, G.K. Chesterton, you, you come up on... A wall in a field and you don't know what it is you know the liberals are just like what's this stupid wall doing here rip it down and the mm-hmm. conservative impulse is like let's figure out what the wall is for mm-hmm. before we rip it down in that way or like he called also tradition the democracy of the dead the orthodox are just like tradition's a big deal they're not just gonna like something as central and as long-standing to the faith as the nicene creed is just probably not even really on the table no
1: no i i'm full well i know it full well that it's not on the table but so how does that not drive you crazy um how is that not its own den of
0: snakes
2: i think because within orthodoxy it is um there's a freedom and this is hard to talk about but there's a freedom to hold to collective knowing and like collective transcendent objective not knowing and and have a subjective um a subjective conscious awareness knowing propositional knowing which may which they may not perfectly line up but you can hold them both simultaneously
1: Mm -hmm. because for me i feel like the orthodox insistence on tradition is an extra barrier for me that Mm. a particularly biblically oriented evangelical church might not actually have. Like, I think that, and I've experienced this, that I can get some super biblically oriented conservative evangelical churches to actually be nice to me Mm. when I start really emphasizing that our, you know, source of um, theology is the same; just we disagree on conclusions. And mm-hmm. why I think that my conclusion is a little bit better based off of the, you know, shared foundation. So I feel like I actually get extra. That uh, that th- there's a form of tolerance for me that is available sometimes because I've certainly yeah. gone the opposite. You know that that isn't available to me in Catholicism or Orthodoxy
2: because they they stay still because you still have the same axiomatic prescribed allegiance to a way of holding to the Bible and how you note things that's Mm -hmm. similar to them, they still hold out hope that you can be that hopeful convert like the atheist.
1: Well, also, I think I've even gotten beyond that with some particular Mm -hmm. people where they're like, okay, maybe the Trinity is something that we need to hold with a more open hand. But I'm not asking you to hold, like, scriptural authority with a more open hand. I'm saying that we can agree on that thing.
2: Yeah, I think orthodoxy, yeah, orthodoxy would always be an issue for you because there would just be certain things that would be non-starters. Like, it's interesting because, because, like, if someone like you were very practically, maybe this is getting way it's about orthodoxy but if someone like you were to say i want to join the orthodox church well they'd be like well okay you need to be baptized but it needs to be a trinitarian baptism which i'm sure you haven't had
1: well, it depends on is it the words or is it the idea behind the words
2: well and and at what level so like maybe you have been baptized in a trinitarian church that was done confessionally trinitarian and see this is where the orthodox aren't always <clears throat> they're not always as dogmatic as you think like they're very willing, I think, sometimes. Like, my priest and I were just talking about this in regard to fasting, of just being like, I could see you going to an Orthodox church. If, have you indeed had a Trinitarian baptism? What? Like, have you had a Trinitarian baptism? Were you Not a baptism?
1: at a Trinitarian church. <laughs> okay.
2: Because maybe, maybe I thought you maybe had, like, in your evangelical days, that you just you were probably baptized before that. So yeah. – but if you were, let's just say theoretically, like say Unitarian Sam who has Unitarian convictions did have a Trinitarian baptism, where you, even if you didn't maybe individually agree with it at the time, they they I think the Orthodox would probably be like, that's fine.
1: Yeah,
2: like it doesn't matter. It's a Trinitarian baptism, <laughs> mm-hmm. because they just don't. Hold, I don't think the Orthodox hold to like what you individually think about things nearly as highly.
1: Yeah, but I'm West never going to recite the Nicene Creed, right? That's and they, they take that still pretty seriously, right? And there is something propositional about. I mean, and like, you
2: could maybe say it. You could maybe say it in a way that was just like, because I've heard a lot of people say that we don't. And again, like we were talking about earlier, are there tons of people within the Orthodox Church that have no idea of like the history right. and the truth yeah. and the facts of what they're reciting and what it means? A hundred percent. Like this is, I don't think it matters. Mm-hmm. But I couldn't have it not matter. Right.
1: In that way.
2: Right. And so, and so I think almost from an Orthodox perspective, they would say like, we we are they would probably be perfectly fine to have you if you have a Trinitarian Baptism and we're doing those things, the sacramental things, the core, because I mean, that's what they see it. The core is the sacraments. Mm-hmm even if you maybe individually didn't know what you thought about all that, I think they'd just be like, that's fine.
1: Interesting. Like if there were, imagine like there were some church that was like, say middle Eastern country X, the, mm-hmm. the Orthodox church of imaginary Blankistan that had separated Palestine. off from, you know, the Eastern church over the Trinitarian issue. And was like, a, you know, an old school Unitarian church that had survived from ancient times that was otherwise very much similar to Orthodoxy in terms of its emphasis on tradition and sacraments and all that sort of stuff. I think I could be down. Like, like there are Nestorians yeah. still around, but even then, I I disagree with the Nestorians, and the Nestorians right. still recite the Nicene Creed. But if imagine like the same way that there are Nestorians, that there was a pre-Trinitarian, you know, Christian denomination that had survived from antiquity, right? That I think I would be something that I would be pretty excited about. But the fact that they all died out is, uh, I I I wish I. I love tradition. I just wish I had a different one than is on offer.
2: No. And that man.
1: you can't make a 2000-year-old tradition from scratch, unfortunately.
2: Yeah, it's hard. It's
1: hard. It yeah. Takes about 2000 years.
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's an interesting it's an interesting thought idea. Um Do you do you have any uh, responding or closing thoughts maybe about Rhett and Link or our personal stories? Because this, if we keep talking, this will just turn into a conversation about the Trinity.
1: Right. Well, as, uh, yeah. So I, and I have to go in a couple minutes, okay. but let's hear. So closing thoughts. I mean, I really appreciate Red and Link's honesty. I think that was one thing that everyone should agree that they were doing right. And I do think that they actually had a good amount of humility, too. I don't think they were leaning over the tips of their skis and claiming how much of an expert or or anything that they were on these topics. Yeah. I think they did a good job of sort of properly communicating all of that sort of thing and approaching it with the level of, I don't know, certainty and preachingness that was appropriate. So there was a lot that I think that they did well. And... I mean, I do have to say, like I said earlier, that I think in general that I feel very sad for them that they lost their faith and that I don't think it was a good thing. Time is the revelator and hopefully, but the only way that I can say that is hoping that things change and get better, right? I think that where they're at now is bad. Um, And maybe this was an important step to someplace better, or maybe it was a big step and it'll only lead in some place worse. And honestly, that would be my guess right now. Um, I think that they, I think that while they were clearly very smart, and as you know, especially Rhett is, or yes, Rhett is certainly super technical about all of these things. It there was something just a little bit kind of too typical about it. Like mm. there's part of me, like if I could go on my Jeff rant, it would be like seriously. That's that's the best that you've got in terms of reasons to not be a Christian. That's sort of minor league stuff, if I'm being honest. Right.
2: Well, and that's, you, they that's, could that's,
1: they could ask deeper and harder. There there are even there are further steps along the chain of doubt that you haven't even gotten to. Well,
2: this is where and, I would yeah, this is where I'd push on Rhett, and just to give a shout to Esther, where I'd agree with Esther. Like, I don't think Red isn't deconstructing and leaving his faith for mere rational ideas because because I agree like there are uh there are better answers and even like what Jeff was saying there there is um like you don't have to equate the two like you should have been smarter than that like it's not just about that there's other stuff going on
1: right right yeah. And don't say that we deconverted because we moved to L.A. Oh, but, right. you know, if we had stayed in the South, this probably wouldn't have happened. You, you don't get to say both of those things, right? <laughs> and I think, I, mean, part of,
2: yeah.
1: I think part of it is that, I, you know, the biggest criticism that I would give of them is like, look, you were ta- you were towing the line when your finances depended on it, but then as soon as you got rich and comfortable, then all of a sudden, and then now you feel free to have your deconversion. That hey man, there's something about that that is extremely unpalatable to me, and that that's would be my one of mine.
2: Yeah, that's my Sinclair Ferguson quote that I love so much. That like it's hard to get a man to see anything if his salary depends upon him not seeing it.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And there's something
1: that. just seemingly ungrateful about, like, are you going to pay back everyone who supported you in full-time ministry for how may- however many years that was? Going to yeah. tally that up and send some checks back now that you have all of your YouTube money? That almost seems like the right loving thing to do.
2: They were doing mm-hmm. God's work at that time, though.
1: Yeah. So anyway, that, that's the <clears throat> part of me that is most angry at them. Those are my thoughts. Like, A, your intellectual caliber could be a little higher, if I'm honest. B certainly seems like money and culture has a lot to play in this and that's not very savory
2: i mean i don't know like so my closing thoughts would be i really i don't know i really relate and and am sympathetic and i'm probably a lot softer to where they are and and all this is maybe temperament and i'm a lot more hopeful of where they are and where it could lead um because like Jeff was saying, I do, I do think that like maybe where everybody is, provided that it's honest, provided that you're not like somehow so twisted that you're mm-hmm. moving and making decisions based on like defense mechanisms and coping and yeah, like maybe, maybe this is exactly where they need to be, provided it's honest and time is the revelator. Um, and yeah, they're not, I mean, they did have a lot of humility with it where they're saying, you know, like we're no experts, we're lay people. And part of that, I also know for myself is like, it's, it's also really easy to put in those qualifications almost though, is like buttressing. There's still, there's still kind of buttressing your argument though. Mm -hmm. Like Mm -hmm. I'm not an expert. So take that with a grain of salt, but yet I'm still arguing facts as an expert would. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You, know, you can't
1: have that cake and need it too.
2: <clears throat> yeah, so it's it's a little like, well, is it based on is it based on all the reason and the facts or not? Yeah, because because it is more complicated than that. Like, yeah, it's not just California. It's sixty not just second
1: the, warning for the record. Oh,
2: it's not just the money. It's not just whatever. So, um, I don't know. What I do love is the conversation that it's that it is produced. Hopefully, I do love that because yeah. I think it's important. Yeah. at getting at the den of snakes, which yeah, I hate. Yes.
1: And honesty and forthrightness as Jordan Peterson says is the only way to fight back the snakes.
2: Yeah, that's um, a perfect way to close. Do you have the yeah. recording or me? I think it's you. Okay. Well, love you Sam. Have a love good one. Love you too.
1: Week. Love you Jeff. Nice talking with you yeah. for the first time. Sorry you had to leave. All right. All
2: right. Peace,
0: buddy.
1: Peace.